having investigated the second noble truth of tanha, hunger, uh, we've come to a place in our practice where we can seriously consider and perhaps have some taste of experience of cessation or of diminishing. The third noble truth is so simple. When the hunger is gone, the suffering's gone which is to say that the fuel that drives the whole process of building this tension, this sense of self, all the fabrications that go with that is gone. The fuel is just gone. There may still be residual patterns that manifest and are known, but they're released as they're known. One still has a body, it still ages, it dies, but there's no wish for it to be otherwise. It's just like this, and it's always like this, and it's always like this. There's just no hunger in it, so it's always like this. It's it's quite a simple vision, a beautiful vision. One begins to see, as one becomes intimate with the larger universe of the Buddha's teachings, that this niroda, or this cessation, in the formulation of the Four Noble Truths, which is this central kind of structure offered for helping us understand what's going on here in this life. There's a actually quite rich set of aspects of human um, difficulty that diminish and cease in addition to hunger. And any one of them can be and is named as enough, enough for genuine liberation. For example, nothing in this world is worth adhering to. For the monk who knows this the mind will be at peace, for one at peace, the monk will see things as they actually are, and the mind is liberated. The knowledge and vision of release right there. Nothing to cling to. Nothing to hold to. Nothing is fit for our going in, grabbing, and trying to have, get, or be different, or anything. 
it will all bring suffering. But when there's no adhering, there's no suffering. This is the liberated mind. So, clinging. The mind free of greed or attraction, pulling towards hatred or pushing away, and delusion or the foggy indifference that comes with not being awake. Freedom from these is the emblem of the liberated mind. So, cessation of greed, hatred, and delusion. And that's moment by moment. When you're talking about the tanha, you're talking about this pattern of moments. Greed, hatred, and delusion really touches the root of each thought. So there's another element of cessation. The unfabricated, the unconstructed, the unconstructing, the non-constructing, the cessation of the constructing process of the conceiving mind, of the proliferating mind. And the uh, one way of talking about liberation is in relation to the unconstructed, the deathless, And central to the teachings is the vanquishing of ignorance, avijja, not knowing. This is the blindness where we don't know (laughs) what the heck we're doing. We don't know that we're stuck in this process. We don't know we're frantic. We don't know. We're making up what we're frantic about. And so, yeah, it's funny, but that's how it is. That's how complete the avicca is, the not knowing. It's like a wall of obsidian behind which we live. And the cessation of ignorance or the ending of ignorance, the collapse of ignorance is perhaps better, is nothing other than the dawning of wisdom, the same thing. So you see all the time, sees things as they actually are, the dispassion, the disenchantment, the coming out of the spell in which we're bound, under which we've fallen, arises, 
and the knowledge of release, the experience of release. Poof. Bam. It's all cessation, all of these factors, all these qualities. So they make up somewhat of a system where they work together and in that we remain in a cycle or a pattern locked in of this life, this samsara, this incredible suffering actually. Fortunately we have this adapting to it where suffering becomes normal and we can sort of bear it. And then every now and then that pattern breaks and then we can't bear it. But by and large, we've adapted to a life of suffering where it seems, you know, yeah, it's all right. What are you talking about? You know, that's the, of course, you're living in the ignorance of that. But at least you can survive. And you can go pour more cement or see more clients or sew another dress like bees in a hive making sure the queen is safe do your job but it is a bearing of it so this pattern that keeps us locked in was beautifully condensed by a mind that I still absolutely can't fathom, the Buddha's mind. I just can't believe he <laughs> sees, saw all this. I'm glad he was generous enough to share it, but I still don't get it. So you look at the pattern of intoxication that keeps this in place. What floods the mind and keeps us going like this when obviously the things I'm saying, if they're true, are liberating, right? So why aren't you liberated? What's the problem? Why, are, why don't you realize that it, this is it? It's okay. Stop making it up. Why not? You've been to retreats. You should be free by now. And of course, you know, in a different part of the Buddhist tradition, you would say, oh, you are free by now. And I'm saying, okay, fine. Let's just change our language. Why don't you realize you're free? I don't care about that. So we have to look at these three elements and how they work together to understand. And these elements are called the asavas or the intoxicants, the outflows, the floods. They flood the mind and here we, here we stay. Since you've really been begun to contemplate the tanha, the hunger, let's start there because it fuels the system. Still has that same central role of providing the energy that keeps this engine of dukkha going, tanha. But two of them in particular are proliferating the hunger for sense pleasure 
and the hunger for becoming and being. The hunger for pleasure that drives this organism and drives the constructing mind, right? So it's, it's both the sense pleasures and the whole uh, mental, psychological aspect of it. So it includes all of the relational, all of the ideational, everything. That hunger for pleasure creates a tension, tension, stress, grasping, clinging. And in that tension, there's this firming up of the self. Perhaps you've experienced it. I hope so. If not, keep practicing. You will. So, the hunger for pleasure is sustaining the hunger to exist, to become, right? Because that's the me that has to be pleasured. And as long as we're, we're feeding that, then it's sustained. It's, you know, this sense of self, that, uh, my pleasures and how I get it and the whole thing, right? So the, the, pl- the hunger for pleasure supports the hunger for existence and continued becoming. But it's exactly that tension of the hunger for pleasure and that feeding the becoming that lock us into the franticness that keeps us blind. So it sustains the ignorance. See what I'm saying? I mean, this is, this is just what we experience every day. This is you going back home, having whatever happened, and having all the tensions of that, and where's the awareness? Where's the love? Where's the absence of self that I experienced a few days ago, a few weeks ago, a few years ago? It's just that gripping around everything that then keeps us locked in the ignorance we can't see. Pause, relax, is not happening. It's another way of putting it. And open, forget it. So, the hunger for pleasure feeds those other two. So, touch the hunger for becoming the constant self and the feeding of the self. Well, the self is exactly what wants those pleasures and has built its entire self-system to get them, right? Maybe you've experienced this a little bit in your practice yesterday. How do I manage this? What are my tactics? What are my long-term strategies? What's my business plan And we're constantly executing and updating our business plan in response to the market. And uh, every now and then we have to do a (laughs) rebranding. Advertising helps. And it's nice to have a budget, but if you don't have, you work with what you've got. (coughs) Right? And here we are. That self and urge to become is the nexus of the hunger for pleasure. 
Meanwhile, that self, this self, hearing these words, speaking these words, is so uh, obsessed with its becoming that it stays locked in blindness. It doesn't see. It doesn't see things as they are. It can't because why? It means death. You understand? It's the death of the self. Of course it's not going to let go. Of course it's not going to see. Because its whole It's too circular, you know. Its reason for being is being. Its reason for being is becoming. Its reason for becoming is being. It can't let go. It can't see. So the hunger for becoming sustains the ignorance. So now we go to ignorance. In the blindness of ignorance, locked into that system. We don't see the suffering associated with feeding the hungers. Furthermore, we don't see that we, that this system we call me, is being driven by hunger. It's just doing the next logical thing. Well, of course I should lie about my colleague so I get the promotion and not him because I want whatever, you know, I want the sensory pleasures that come from money. But there's no knowledge. I mean, I took an unethical example because it would be so gross. There's no knowledge there. It's just more subtle in our lives where we don't understand, we don't see that we're being driven by hunger. So it just keeps going on and on. I can tell you, the Buddha can tell you, any of your teachers or your books, your next door neighbor could tell you. But, can we actually see it in the moment of experience? Can we really wake up to the pattern? the ignorance that holds us won't see the hunger. And very simply, the ignorance that holds us won't see the fabricating self because we're locked in it. And so this ignorance, as long as it's manifesting, sustains a sense of a real substantial self. So I call this the tripod of suffering these asavas, these intoxicants. And they work together. So you've got the not knowing, the not seeing, which is the avija, not knowing. You've got the kamatanha, the hunger for pleasure. 
and you've got the bhava tanha, the hunger for becoming. And sometimes views is added to this, but it's really this is the this is the core. But the good news <laughs> the good news is that you can interrupt the system. That's why we practice. And that's why sometimes we set aside special time for practice because we're interrupting a pretty well-oiled machine. So this is why a commitment to how we live has to extend beyond the special circumstances because the patterns need to be met, interrupted, where they manifest. This is the Eightfold Path. This whole thing is interrupting this and coming to bring wisdom into this self-perpetuating insanity. Our social lives, our business encounters, even our intimate relations can serve to sustain all the values of ignorance and hunger in a culture of acquisition, a culture of stress, This can be reinforced, held in place. And the power of the relational to hold this stuff in place is substantial. So we meet it not only with our own vow with our own real sense of possibility, we meet it with the support of community, of each other. To even think that we can do this alone and in isolation is folly. The Buddha had good reason for saying the holy life is comprised entirely, rooted entirely in good friendship. When Ananda said, oh, it's beautiful, it's gorgeous, the way good friendship is half the holy life, the Buddha said, no, don't say that, Ananda. Don't say that. It's the entire holy life. One who has good friendships can be expected to cultivate the Eightfold Path. 
the entire Eightfold Path, not just sila, but the right effort, the right mindfulness, the right concentration, like we're doing here, the right view, like we're doing in this very moment, the right intention, as well as right speech, right action, and right livelihood, right living. So, our sense now, as we go back into practice, is let's touch this movement towards cessation that's already unfolding in each of our hearts. It is. That's why you're here. It's not random. You had to make probably a good number of arrangements to get here and stay here. Think of all the volitional moments that that totals of goodness. And we'll also be able to explore together what it looks like, despite whatever you may have discovered yesterday, perhaps, as these hungers are diminishing in your heart. so we can be good friends in the holy life. Okay? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.